our series uh, taking different phrases, uh, some folks call them articles, from the Apostles' Creed, this confession that we've used a great deal in the history of our church, and it's been used a great deal in the history of the church, the broader church, for many centuries now, um, more than a millennia and a half, uh, this creed has been used. And, uh, and we're, this morning, looking at... Uh, And on the third day, he rose again from the dead. This is resurrection promise, right? That's where we find ourselves. It is uh, a little bit, there's a sense in which we we should be celebrating the resurrection every single Sunday. That we we have the spoiler alert uh, as uh, a part of the story every week. That it should just be on our minds that Jesus rose from the dead. That Jesus conquered death. We have this, this, hey, there's a happy ending. Now, it it leads to more. We're going to get to the end of the creed, and we're going to find the resurrection of the dead. That is our own resurrection. Uh, We we won't dive into that this morning. We're going to see everlasting life. There there is more to come. There are more implications of God's story. And and yet, this story, this part of Jesus' life, is, is the happy ending, right? I, I don't know how you feel. There's, there's whole conversations out there on the interwebs about uh, you know, how to think about happy ending stories, whether it's books you read or movies you watch. You, you know, is it more authentic if it's, if it's messy and it doesn't end happily? And, and there's certain things that you watch that you know, even in the midst of incredible tension, you know because of the genre or you've heard something about it, you know how it's going to end, right? I'm, I'm reading a... Uh, Children slash uh, young adults. I don't actually know the, the target, but it's uh, called the, the Wing Feather Saga, uh, Andrew Peterson. And it's just like super easy uh, to read. But you know, because of its audience, you, you know it's going to be a happy ending. And so there's like pain and there's suffering and, and not everybody makes it. But you, you know what's coming. And, and sometimes I really enjoy reading and stories like that or watching movies where I, I know that it's going to end well. Right? Well, let me tell you that this story that we're invited into, it, it, there's a happy ending. And, and we actually need to hold that in front of us all, all the time. And so as we confess each week, on the third day he rose again from the dead, we are confessing a, a happy ending. A story that is powerful and amazing uh, and has, not only is it the story that is a happy ending, let me encourage us that as we see that the story is real, we're also going to see that it has real implications for you and for me. Now, 2,000 years later, after this story happened, occurred in real life, it has implications for you and for me. So we're going to look at the fact that it's a real story, and then secondly, it has real implications. Those are the points. Real story, real implications. Let me pray for us. Lord, open our hearts and our minds to the glory of the resurrection, of the fact that 2,000 years ago Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, Allow us to to sit in that beautiful story and to experience its implications in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, the first thing that we we have to, there, there are a lot of stories about, there are a lot of different ways that people talk about Christianity. And uh, oftentimes people try to explain away the resurrection. And as we've looked at things over the last number of weeks, whether it be 
that there is a creator, God, who created this world, or there was a virgin birth, or God, Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. These things, we're talking about a supernatural story here. And, and, And we also have talked about the fact that we believe that there are actual reasons to believe that these things are real and true and that they matter for us. That it's not just this mythical, spiritual story, but that it is something real and true. And clearly, throughout Scripture, this story that we just heard the account of is, is a real story that happened in history. That Jesus Christ actually rose from the dead. There are a few reasons to believe that. This story in Matthew 28, and then also the account of it in Luke 24, and Mark 15, and in John chapter 20... It's all written as a narrative as though it actually happened. And the way that we read the Bible, we believe that it is true and reliable, but we we understand that different parts are written in different ways. So there are parables. They're not real stories that teach us something. This is not written as a parable. There is poetry that gives language to something that is not literal in that sense. This is not that. This is written as a narrative to communicate that this actually happened in history. And that that impacts everything. And so I, I think it's, it's helpful. Like, again, if you have any exposure to the church, this is not a surprise story to you, right? The statement, he rose again from the, third, rose again from the dead on the third day, is not a surprise to you. And actually, it can often sit as, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, that's right, Jesus rose from the dead. But I think it's helpful for us to remember how radical this is. To do that, I think we're going to take just a moment to look at, Todd mentioned it briefly last week in his sermon, the phrase from the creed that maybe we have the most question about, uh, and it's descended into hell. And one of the reasons that we have that question is because as, as we're going through this, there's not a passage that goes along with descending into hell. I think we're going to talk just for a moment about what we believe that means and why it's in there. But it's, uh, it's not as explicitly communicated in Scripture. But it, it leads into the, the radical nature of this story of resurrection. So, descended into hell, I think it's helpful to note a few things. One is that the word used in the creed, when this was this first in there, again, over a millennia and a half ago, that the word used is Gehenna, that Greek word Gehenna, not Hades. Hades always means hell. Gehenna can mean hell, but it can also mean the place of the dead. And one of the things that's being communicated here, we're going to talk about the fact that there are people who question the resurrection. Rightfully so. You may be going, resurrection from the dead? I know how death works. That's not it. So you have questions, right? There was a recognition of that. And so some people had explained away the resurrection saying Jesus didn't actually die. He was just injured really badly on the cross and he was nursed back to health, Right? He, he kind of died, but not really. The, the picture here is, descended into hell, he actually died. He was physically dead. That, that, that is a, a real reality and significant. And then also, it communicates this idea that he was experiencing the consequences of our sin when he paid, our, paid the price for our sin on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Hell, ultimately, is a separation from God and all of his love and all good things, right? There's a lot we don't know uh, about what it is, but we do know that it is separation from him and all good things. 
my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This, this second person of the Trinity that had lived in perfect relationship with the Father and the Spirit from eternity past has that relationship broken here. He is experiencing consequences of his sacrifice on the cross, which makes the resurrection all that much more beautiful. So it's helpful for us to to sit in that place. Jesus was dead. And to think about, to, to do our best to put ourselves in the place of Mary and the other Mary, the Marys, as they're headed to the tomb, And they're expecting, they're not expecting to find a a resurrected Lord. This is true for all the disciples, all the followers of Jesus. They've actually heard him predict his resurrection. And yet it is so far outside the realm of possibility for them. Not a part of their worldview, whether they were Jewish or Greek. It was not a part of their worldview to expect a single person to rise again from the dead in the middle of history. Jews did expect a final resurrection in the end. uh, And Greeks didn't believe in resurrection at all. There is no worldview at this time that is expecting resurrection. And so they go, and they are heartbroken. This man that they have followed, that they have spent time with, that they have learned from, this friend of theirs is dead. We we learn from Luke chapter 24 that as he's walking along with the disciples, they don't know who he is yet. They said, we thought he was going to be the one to redeem Israel, but they're actually sitting in the loss and the mess. They're experiencing death in in ways that maybe we have experienced someone, a close friend, die. We know the grief and the loss. And that is what Mary Magdalene and the other Mary are experiencing as they walk to the tomb. They're going to be faithful to treat the body with honor and perfumes and dress it. uh, But they're not expecting resurrection. They are heartbroken and grieving. And we... Don't sit there very long, right? I mean, we're not going to sit there very long this morning because the passage is about resurrection. But we, we need to remember that reality so that we can see the beauty of the resurrection. I heard a story, I've heard this multiple times, a story of a missionary that went to Papua New Guinea. And there was a, a group of people that he was, he was beginning to translate scripture and tell the story. And he began at the beginning and he worked through and he tells the story of the crucifixion, and they're all heartbroken. This is all new for them, right? Wasn't something that was just kind of part of culture or something that they had heard. They'd been a part of the church. This was all brand new. And so they're, they are taken by Jesus and his story and what he's doing, and then they learn that he, that he died, and they are heartbroken. And then he gets to the part of the resurrection, and he tells the story of the resurrection, and, and the story is that they begin to dance and celebrate for hours even, because this is, it's like mind-blowing to them, right? Because it's new. And they're sitting in the heartbreak and the grief and the brokenness, which we, we often skip over so quickly. Jesus was dead, and it was a, a brokenness. It was a mess. And yet, then we come from that story into the fact that he rose from the dead. This is an amazing story that we sometimes just need to take as much time as we can to to put ourselves in that place, to picture what it might have been like. Now, to be clear, as they tell, as Matthew here or the other gospel writers tell the story or uh, those in the book of Acts recount it or in the letters of Paul or the others, this is a story that is recounted again and again. They, They 
tell this story, again, as a true story, but also in recognition that people are going to doubt the story. This, again, wasn't something we, we think, C.S. Lewis calls it chronological snobbery, that we think that everybody that lived a long time ago were just a bunch of dummies. Of course, they believe the resurrection. Those people. They're not smart like we are. Uh, we've got science that tells us that, that people don't rise from the dead. They knew how death worked, right? Like it worked the same then. They, they knew that resurrection wasn't a thing. And so the writers also knew that they would doubt. And even mentioned in chapter 28, so a few verses, verse 17, beyond what we had read, says, some saw him and worshipped him, but some doubted. Even those that saw him, there's this question. It's so outside the realm of possibility. And so the writers are regularly recognizing that this is true, and they're speaking truth into that. And there are a few things we could spend a long time talking about why we believe the resurrection actually happened, and that it's not just some thing that we, we check our brains at the door and say, oh, yeah, yeah, he rose from the dead. I mean, there are a number of things. One is uh, that we are here today, 2,000 years later, because this massive movement, worldwide movement, grew out of this. And it grew out of the claim of the resurrection. And it grew out of that claim in the midst of a community that claimed to be there. So that when this was written, and when Paul's letters were written, when these accounts were written, there were still witnesses that if it hadn't happened, they would have said, yeah, that didn't happen. And Paul actually invites the readers of 1 Corinthians in chapter 15 to say, hey, go to those witnesses. Many of them are still around and alive. There were hundreds of them. Go and check with them the validity of this story. It's also uh, significant we find here that the, the first witnesses are, and this is true of all the accounts of the story, are women, Mary, Magdalene, and the other Mary. If you're making up a story to start a religion for which you're going to die, then uh, you don't use women. Because at that time, it's I'm not saying this was right, to be clear. At that time, women couldn't even testify in, in court. They, they wouldn't be heard. And so if you're trying to make up a story that, that broadly the culture is going to believe, you're, you're not going to have women be the first witnesses. The only reason that you would include women in the story is if that is the way that it actually happened. In fact, N.T. Wright, if you, if you really want to dive into the resurrection, uh, Jesus and the victory of God... It is a thick, dense book, but it's really good. It's kind of like the go-to. You can borrow mine. I haven't even read the whole thing. It's dense enough. But um, it, uh, he, he talks about the fact that certainly those that even believed this was true but wanted others to believe it would have been tempted to kind of leave out the women as the first witnesses. I mean, that's how powerful uh, this cultural dynamic was. You wouldn't have had women as the first witnesses. You would have invited people to go check with uh, those that had been around. The reality is again and again and again, this story is communicated as something that actually happened in history, that Jesus physically died and rose again from the dead. And if that's true, it changes everything. If Jesus actually rose from the dead, it changes everything and it puts everything else into perspective. And so the invitation is to, if we doubt, there are, again, Christians and the church throughout history that have said this is true. If that's true, then we, we should study it and 
and make a decision ourselves whether we believe that's true. If we believe it's true, then we should embrace it and allow it to shape everything. And then realize that it has real implications for us. Not only a real story, but it has real implications for you and for me. We'll look briefly at three different implications. The first is that it confirms Jesus. It confirms him and his ministry and what he did. You can't just say, if if this is true, if Jesus actually appeared uh, to these women and he tells them to go tell the disciples and he wants this story to spread, then if all of this really happened, then you can't just say, which you might hear a good bit today, oh, Jesus was a good teacher. And that actually doesn't even fit with what he said and did as, in, in his life before his death and resurrection. He, he can't just be a good teacher if he's claiming to be God. He had I mean, just outlandish claims. Claims, in fact, that the leaders, the religious leaders, killed him for. Claims that he could forgive sin, which only God could do. Claim, ultimately, that, that he was God. If Jesus rose from the dead, all of this is then confirmed. And so that we then go back and see that all Jesus did and taught, and we see it in light of the resurrection, it holds this powerful weight for us. It it makes that all the more valuable. And he steps into this truth, this truth of who he is as the one who has power over death, who is God himself. Because when Mary and Mary worship him, they took hold of his feet and worshiped him. And then he, he get, tells them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers. He, he sends them out to tell others in verse 10, right? Every moment in the scripture where people begin to worship anyone other than God, and this happens a few times with his people, they always say, no, 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 no. It's not me. Don't worship me. I'm pointing you to the creator, to God. Jesus doesn't do that because that's exactly who he is. And he has demonstrated that in his resurrection from the dead. And so now we see everything in light of that. Jesus gives a a lot of really hard teaching and hard calls. This idea that Jesus is a good teacher, you know, he was a good teacher. But he was so much more than that. And you go through and you saw the things that he did and the things that he taught. And some of them are really hard, really difficult you read the Sermon on the Mount and how he, you know, he, he leans into the, the Ten Commandments and then he expands them? You know, not only uh, don't murder, but don't hate because that's like murder. Don't, don't commit adultery, but don't, don't even lust because that's like adultery. I mean, th- these things are, are difficult. He invites us into to giving generously of our money, of our time, of all of it. To think of others is better than ourselves. And that idea, right, look, yeah, I wish everybody would do that. Except a lot of time, me. I don't really want to do that. Most of the time. I mean, we think about in our day and age, his, his views on sexuality and having boundaries around sexuality. These are, these are reasons to maybe not follow Jesus, right? That it's only... In the context of covenant marriage, that doesn't seem right, right? There's a lot of reasons and a lot of things that we struggle with. But if Jesus rose from the dead, it puts all that he did and taught in this amazing context, and and it, it makes all of it matter in deep 
in powerful ways. I, I meant to bring a book that had a quote, so I'm going to mess up the quote, but I'm going to give you the idea of what it said. It's, uh, it's Keller and his reason for God. And he essentially says, you know, if, if Jesus rose from the dead, then all of, all of his teaching, all of the stuff, all of the questions and doubts, it falls under that. But if he didn't rise from the dead, then why do we care at all about what Jesus said or did? Because it's just craziness. I mean, it's, it's Paul saying we're, we're wasting our time uh, gathering together if there's no resurrection from the dead. Let's sleep in on Sunday. And go to brunch, right? There's no reason to be here. But if he rose from the dead, and the claim is he rose from the dead. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. Then it makes all the difference. It makes him the most important person in history. The only one worth following. Because we can put our hope in a lot of things, right? But all of those things are going to fail us when death comes. All of those will fail us when death comes. But if Jesus has the power over death, then there's hope even beyond that, and so we follow him. He is confirmed. The second implication is that it empowers us. Jesus has, has promised that we can live in light of his calling upon our lives, that resurrection power. He's invited us into these really difficult calls, right? But he's saying that that resurrection power it's available to us, that we can live with that kind of power. Romans 6, 9 through 11, Romans 8, 11, give these pictures of the resurrection power being for us justifying, empowering, so that the, the, the spirit of resurrection that raised Jesus from the dead, Romans 8, 11, gives life to our mortal bodies. So that as we're invited into this Christian life, some of those things difficult, what Jesus called us into, he's actually empowered us, empowered us, the one who has resurrection power to walk in that. And, and it's all over the story of the gospel and the story of Christianity, so that as we confess our sin and hope and the assurance of pardon, we're able to do that because it, is, it comes with resurrection power, that our, our sin would be forgiven, that we would be empowered, that he is in that moment, saying, you are, to, to use biblical language, justified. That is, declared right. And all the implications that come with that. Adoption as his sons and daughters, a part of the, his family. All of that comes and is guaranteed to us because of resurrection power. And we long for the one with resurrection power to speak those words of approval and love and care for us. I mean, we long for this all of our lives, right? These, someone to speak over us words of approval or affirmation. I, I think about, I mean, in all kinds of ways, we, we seek it for, from our parents and from teachers and coaches and friends. And sometimes, so, some more than others, right? I, I think about, there are a lot of places I could go in my life where I have longed for those words of uh, affirmation or encouragement or justification, however we want to talk about them, right? I think about playing football, I played football in elementary school and high school, and I, I loved it. I was passionate about football. I wanted to be better. And, uh, and as I grew up and played more and more, if somebody who was older than me and really good gave me words of affirmation, it, like, it was really powerful for me. Much more so than like, if 
somebody who was two years younger than me and not very good uh, noted they saw something good. It just didn't carry as much weight, right? But if when I was a freshman uh, and, and got to practice with the varsity team, if Spencer Cliff, who was a senior and really good, told me I had done something well, I was like, yes. Or if uh, even a few years later, Lake Newton, who was just a year above me and, and not known for being a very nice guy, but also really good at football, if he told me, nice job, then it was like, yes. Right? So here we have, just to, just to step it back just a little bit, the one who has resurrection power, power over death itself, saying, you are loved, delighted in, rejoiced in, justified, a part of my family. I want you to have more of me. I want to be in relationship with you. That is what is on offer with this story of resurrection, a reminder of who it is that loves us and affirms us and justifies us. Amen. It's a beautiful truth. This gives us great power to move forward in a messy world where we haven't yet seen the full implications of the resurrection. We're not jumping over that reality, right? There's many ways in which we still sit in Holy Saturday in that mess of thinking with the disciples, I thought there was going to be more. There's still grief. We live in the waiting, and yet the implication is that in the midst of that, there's a sure hope. There's a sure and certain hope, even as we hope for more and look forward to what is to come. Death does surround us, and we, we try to avoid it. We try not to think about it. We use euphemisms, right? Passed away, gone on. We, we don't like to describe our friends or family as dead. There's a finality and a grief and a brokenness to that. And yet it is the reality. Uh, and, and, and we, in our, and we've talked about this before, but our culture more and more tries to separate from death. You know, death happens, we, we, it doesn't happen in homes anymore. It happens in hospitals you know, they're funeral homes, and not, we don't use the parlors of houses anymore. It used to be that even the church, you would go to church regularly, and you would find the cemetery right outside the church, and you would just be faced with death as you came in to celebrate the resurrection every week, right? But cemeteries, we, we, when we moved to Queens, New York, one of the houses that we looked at was right next to this massive seminary. cemetery. Cemetery. <laughs> Make all the jokes. Yes, yes. Uh, right next to this massive cemetery and, and it was like I don't think I want to live right there right? Uh, cemeteries are away from us now we, we have to drive into them very intentionally and so we, we separate ourselves and yet it's all around and I, I do think there's a, a, a hope here that as we're, as we're faced with, as we actually step into the reality of death we can do so with sure and certain hope that there is a a God who wants relationship with us, who has power over death. That's the promise of this story, of it being real. And it's, it is this, this truth, again, that has been proclaimed and lived out in light of for centuries now. So that we can look to it and its truth, not just you know, one of the, the solutions for addressing 
the lack of hope or the brokenness is just positivity. Right? If I have a positive attitude, and this sometimes seeps into to churches, right? Um, you could read about having your best life now. You just think positive thoughts. But, but it's all over the place. Listen to some, one of the first websites that, I, that came up, it's from like having oral surgery or something like that, going into oral surgery. But it's this list of statements that people claim. They give this caveat. You should have some confidence. But if you say these things, they're going to shape you. And, it, and there's, there's a list of 50. I'm not going to list all 50. But it's, uh, I'm successful. I'm confident. I'm powerful. I'm strong. This might be true sometimes and not others. It might be true one day and not the next, right? It's not enough just to say, I'm, all I need is within me right now. Okay, that's not true for anybody. That's not the way we were created. We're created to live independently. I wake up motivated. Amen if you do. Uh, sometimes I do. Not all the time. I'm an unstoppable force of nature. I don't think I've ever said that and believed it. Um, I'm a living, breathing example of motivation. Um, I'm filled with focus. Nope. Uh, I can be whatever I want to be. I hope you've heard me say that's, that's just not true. Not true. We have limits, and those are beautiful and good. Those positive statements, are, are, they don't move us. It's, it's good to have positive thoughts in our heads, right? To live in light of truth, particularly around the gospel. To be positive about those things. But, but even in the midst of brokenness, when, when we can't say those things truthfully or can't say the things that we are, are actually never true, that we have a truth of a God who conquers death, that greatest enemy. And he invites us into relationship with him, and he says, I am working that resurrection power in you. And in, in weeks to come, we're going to get to what that points to for us, our own resurrection, everlasting life. That, that ultimate, final, happy ending. But we can have confidence, confidence in it now because on the third day, he rose again from the dead. Let's pray.